and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's never really gotten over the fact that the Strixhaven spell Snow Day isn't a snow card. It's Matt Morgan. You know, after today, I've just decided that the first five days after the weekend really are the hardest days. I, I will absolutely sign off on that. You know, let's let's get all weekends all the time. How does that sound? I, I'm fine with all weekends all the time. That sounds good to me, too. Up next, he really wishes that Wizards of the Coast had used the KonMari method with the Planeswalkers from back in Dominaria because they just didn't spark Joyra. It's Dana Roach. Um, I, I either have a head cold right now or serious allergies or I'm turning into an old-timey crooner. I'm not sure which, but it's definitely one of those three. One of those three. Your voice is like a modal spell. Right. The decisions yes. are chosen at random sometimes. Let's. Let, I look forward to the crooning. I look forward to the song if it does come up in this episode. No, I, I bu- mean, bust out New York, New York here at some point. I, I did think actually Casey Kasem was guesting on the, on the podcast uh, for a second. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey Matt, what is it that we're tackling in this week's episode? Well, this week we're going to recover Modern Horizons. There was so much we couldn't do it in just a single episode. So this week's episode, um, just Modern Horizons 2, Cardboard Boogaloo. Modern, exactly. Modern Horizons Too Fast, Too Furious, the second part of our set review. Uh, But before we get to all of that cool Modern Horizons stuff, let's pause real quick and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone since they handle the post-production work on our podcast and making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. We are sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. If you want to support the show, just go to EDHREC and click on whatever card you want to purchase. Choose the vendor link down below and go to the site. Doing so supports both EDH rec and the podcast and if you would prefer to support the show directly you can do so over at patreon.com slash edh recast we have patron exclusive content coming out every single month and extra goodies over there plus a patron exclusive altar sleeve that we're going to be sending out here very soon we're very excited for that so make sure you head over to patreon.com slash edh recast and we cannot forget obviously casey simonetta as our very very special patron of the week so thank you so much casey we definitely appreciate your support Thank you so much. Okay, fellas, let's get to our Modern Horizons to the and the Chamber of Secrets. I'm <laughs> running out of sequel names, uh, but let's get to some of these other cards. We are discussing the red cards, the green cards, the artifacts, some lands, and also some remaining gold cards here as well. But real quick, listeners are probably familiar with the fact that in the last episode, when we talked about like, you know, white cards and blue cards and black cards, um, there was a white card that we left off of the list, the card Resurgent Belief. And the reason we didn't address it is because it came out the day after we recorded that podcast. We were trying to get a jump on things. So we missed this one. It came out the day after we recorded. But y'all, let's start off with this one to cover our bases. Dana, what do you think of the card Resurgent Belief, a suspend replenish? I'm torn. Um... If you don't have a replenish and it's a really, really pricey card, this is a pretty decent replacement for it. But telegraphing what you're going to do um, really robs a lot of the power from the effect. Now, it's only two turns, so that's a relatively short clock for people to respond to your graveyard. But it's also kind of a long clock for you to try to win the game if, if you're planning on throwing a bunch of auras on some creature and punching through for lethal damage. Um I have a deck where I could run it. I just haven't decided if I want to yet. So it's right on the edge of being strong enough for my deck as far as I'm concerned. See, I'm a big fan of this resurgent belief. Like, you are right, Dana. It, Replenish has not played very much because it's a reserveless card. So it's a very pricey card. So a lot of folks are not playing it specifically for that reason. Um, giving people a chance to play this on a budget um Yes, the the suspend is kind of iffy. I'm also not a big fan of that, but I I think the effect is going to be powerful enough. I know my Alila deck is definitely going to give this a glance. Um, yes, you can you can play around it. Um, it gives people two turns to respond and you know possibly play some graveyard hate on you. I don't know why because usually you save that for the graveyard player, um, like <laughs> a one Joseph Schultz. But uh, I I really do like this card. I I. I see the the qualms about suspend. Um, I like the suspend a little bit more than I do on the uh, the the demonic tutor with suspend, where um, you're waiting two turns before you get a card that you like. So, of the suspend cycle, I think this might be my favorite one. I happen to agree with you there. This is a thing that like 
if you're playing Enchantress, you know where this effect could be good. And even if folks do respond with graveyard hate to it, like, I mean, it, it's still like a good thing to risk just in case. Like this can be a very powerful effect. And even if you're getting just like three things back with it, that still sounds okay, actually. I mean, and if you're playing sagas with this too, like this isn't a great way to recur your sagas, stuff like that. There's, there's a bunch of good stuff. If you get one thing back, it's not bad. If you get like a Mystic Remora back or you throw a Battle Mastery on, you know, something that you're swinging with for a lot of damage, like you don't even have to get a ton of things back. It can still be very impactful. Yeah, it is only two mana. Yeah. Yeah. So it does seem like it is going to be a little bit, you know, cornered into it. You, you probably got to be pretty dedicated to the Enchanted strategy, but it is still definitely very interesting for that strategy. So absolutely, you know, really liking that of the suspense cycle in particular. Okay. Now let's get on to the other cards, uh, the other colors that we haven't addressed yet, starting with red. The first red card that we've got here is the card Harmonic Prodigy, a two-mana human wizard, 1-3 with prowess that also says if an ability of a shaman or another wizard you control triggers, that ability triggers an additional time. Not going to lie, the first time I saw this card, I was kind of like, I don't know how much that will actually do anything to. I guess Inala, the wizard tribal commander, will probably enjoy that, and that might be it. And then I started looking and I saw that there are actually quite a lot of wizards and shamans in the command zone that this might be going pretty well with, like Niv-Mizzet Perun, for example, which is a wizard and will deal some damages, or Varen also is a new is it wizard like this actually has a number of homes yeah I, I was just thinking of Varen because that that card definitely gets out of hand pretty quick um it's fine like it'll be a good tribal card but I I'm not sure where outside tribal decks you're gonna want to play this yeah I, I think it, it, it's gonna go in decks where your commander is a is a wizard or shaman that has a triggered ability and I think if you're not playing one of those decks, you, it's it's probably too unreliable to devote a slot to. My real question is, I don't know what the math looks like when you have Varen in play, which is doubling up your spellcast triggers, and you have a gutter snipe in play, which is a shaman, and you have Harmonic Prodigy in play. When you cast a sorcery, how many triggers are you getting off of the gutter snipe? Because there's amplifications on both ends, and I don't know what the math on that looks like. Uh, I believe the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Okay. So yeah, this does have homes, but it does require pretty uh, a pretty dedicated slot, but it's still pretty cool to see. The next card that we have here to discuss, though, Matt, does this one make you hungry at all? Um, it doesn't because I'm not really sure what is being eaten in the art. Um, a little unappetizing, you might say, but the card, at least, not the art, um, the card is Chef's Kiss, quite literally. Um, so Chef's Kiss is one red red for an instant that says gain control of target spell that targets only a single permanent or player. You copy it, then you reselect targets at random for the spell and the copy, and the new targets cannot be you or a permanent you control. Um, it's a lot of words for kind of a weird fork variant. Um, what do you guys think? I think I'm a fan of Wild Ricochet, and I still usually wind up cutting it from my red decks when I get down to about 105 cards. Um, and I think I like that more than this. So I, I just don't know where at least I personally would find a home for it. The best use case that I can see for this one is that it doesn't just hit instants and sorceries. So you can, like if someone tries to use Song of the Dryads on your stuff, then you can gain control of that spell and reselect its target elsewhere. Um, and then you would copy that spell, which then you get another token version of the Song of the Dryads. Like that, that is interesting as a, a different type of response, but the random quality on this really makes me not savor it. And frankly, I don't quite get the flavor connection on how this ability resonates with the idea of Chef kiss like th this card is a confusing mess to me and dana i'm with you wild ricochet just seems like i would prefer the controllability yeah I mean, that we're, we're getting a, a healthy field of like these types of abilities where you can change the target um i'm not really sure if this i mean granted you get an extra copy of this instead of just changing the target once but also it's it's incredibly random, and I'm not sure if that's the, the part that once makes me want to play it. Well, well, next we have Galvanic Relay, which is two and a red for a sorcery. Um, you exile the top card of your library, and during your next turn, you may play that card. It has Storm, which is the important part here. Um, the other important part is it's during your next turn, um, and, and it's a sorcery. So you have to wait a full turn to get a chance to play whatever cards you wind up exiling. Um Man, I'm, I'm torn about this because the, the first thing I thought of was, well, it might be interesting in some kind of a red-green landfall deck where if you happen to hit three lands or four lands with, with this, you could still play them. But there's already a green card called Sprouting Vines that does something kind of similar. I guess that wouldn't get you spells. It would just get you the lands. But um, I think in that deck, you prefer to get the lands over spells. I, I just don't 
know where I would play this in Commander, even though I quite like the card. Yeah, I, I also want to like it. And like in Storm decks, this seems really interesting. Like the new Vayron, for example, is really popular and loves having Storm cards because those will trigger Vayron multiple times. But this restriction is actually pretty sizable. So I'm I'm not sure like if it like it's the kind of card that is only going to be good if you're already doing something pretty busted that turn anyway. So the conversation to me kind of becomes like is this useful as a red value card if you do have like you've played a couple of little spells here and there and then you can play this to set up for your next turn or is red good enough already? It already has a card advantage that it doesn't need that type of effect. Yeah, it is kind of weird that it sets you up for the next turn. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I think I'd rather just play Commune with Lava. It, that way, um, if this is a card that you're top decking, Galvanic Relay really is just another dead card because it doesn't even cantrip. It just sets you up for the next turn. Whereas Commune with Lava, you can play you know X for a certain amount and you can still play those cards this turn and on your next turn. So this is only a common. It's fine. Like if it's a budget kind of card advantage, and I'm sure I'm saying this and like it's going to show up in a lot of decks, but um, I, I think Commune with Lava is probably a card that I would just play over this every single time. So moving on then, there is another red card that Matt, uh, it's also three mana here. And I, I think that this is one that you are definitely a fan of. I am a fan of this one, actually. Uh, Brea's Apprentice, two and a red for an artifact creature, human artificer. It's a two, three. Uh, when Brea's Apprentice enters the battlefield, you create a one, one colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. And then you can tap it and sacrifice an artifact to choose one, either exile the top card of your library. And until the end of your next turn, you may play that card or target creature gets plus two plus oh until end of turn um this is a good just if you're playing that mid-level type of deck kind of battle cruisery this card is either going to get you a lot of card advantage um probably more so than a uh, galvanic relay will um or it's just going to ping through a lot for a lot of extra damage um you don't have to target your own creatures with it the old dana roach special of pumping your opponent's creatures to deal damage um i like this this is a good just very middle of the road type of card but I, th I think a lot of people are going to play it. It does seem pretty darn useful in a Duretti deck, for example, because he loves sacrificing artifacts to revive them. Felden might also really enjoy it. And Ozgear is probably really happy to make multiple copies of this thing too, since it does come with its own token as well that you can manipulate and put more artifacts into the graveyard and then have Ozgear make more tokens. Like, this definitely has homes. Yeah, the ironic part about Bray's Apprentice is you mentioned a few decks where it's good, but I looked at a few friends' Braille lists, and in part because they're four color and you have just so many more options, um, it's probably not good enough for most Bray decks just because the, the decks are so stacked with quality creatures. But yeah, absolutely, like the, those mono red artifact commanders where there's a, there's a lot fewer options. It'll definitely see play for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ironic that Brea's apprentice is um she, she can't can't apprentice under Brea. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah, Brea doesn't need him anymore. That's pretty funny. So that's kind of all that we've got about the most notable stuff in red. Um, and one of the reasons that we're kind of you know moving on from red so early is because there's a lot to talk about in green. So let's move to green now. Boy, howdy is boy, howdy. I this. Wow. Uh, I lose my words when I start looking at green cards. Let's start off with one. <laughs> Whew. I hope everyone's sitting down for this. Have you all heard about the card Tireless Provisioner? This is a three mana, three, two elf scout with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you create a food token or a treasure token. Food, of course, can be sacrificed for life. Treasure can be sacrificed for mana. So real quick. They made a Lotus Cobra, which usually, you know, Landfall gives you a temporary mana of any color. They made that. that Lotus Cobra used to be a mythic. And now that ability is an uncommon where you can put the mana on layaway or you can use it to gain a bunch of life. What is this card? What is this card? This thing's insanity. How, how do you really feel, Joey? Because um, as someone who's cast Tireless Tracker, which is kind of the inspiration for this card, um, I've cast many a Tireless Tracker and I anticipate casting many a Tireless Provisioner. Like this card, um, this card's very, very good, folks. This, yeah, like Lotus Cobra sees play in tens of thousands of decks and this will go right next to them. I know that it is like landfall decks are packed to the gills with amazing cards, but this is one that you will make room for. It's also one that Guillaume will make room for, for food tokens. It's also something that Corvold will take advantage of because you can sacrifice the treasures to, you know, draw cards there as well. Like this thing is insane. Landfall has its homes. I can't believe this is an uncommon. So, so this is the first card we're talking about and it's the first card in a long series that's going to occur over the course of the next few minutes where we go, why did they give green this thing? <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell you what, Dana, do you want to talk to us about Sanctum Weaver then? <laughs> so speaking of why did they give green this thing, 
Uh, Sanctum Weaver, one in a green for an enchantment creature Dryad, um, zero two. Um, but you can tap Sanctum Weaver to add mana of any one color where X is the number of enchantments you control. So it's Sarah's Sanctum on a creature in green. Only, yeah, um, only it's green, not white. And only it's, it's green. A, a long-standing tradition, like this is this is very much a historical set with throwbacks to Magic's history, and this is a throwback to a historical thing where green does white stuff but better. So <laughs> here, instead of adding white mana, it adds mana of any one color. Um, yeah, yep. fantastic. Um, should yeah. should be a white card, but that's neither here nor there. This will get just straight jammed into any Enchantress deck and probably others as well. Every, the, like this is a premature challenge to stats people. This won't show up in enough challenge, uh, enough Enchantress decks because it will be difficult to acquire. Uh, this is a good card that Enchantress decks really, really want. And also if you want to do some especially nasty stuff with it, some enchantments that you might already be playing in an Enchantress deck might be stuff like Pemmin's Aura, which you can use to protect your enchanted creature or that you can use to untap your enchanted creature. So this also creates infinite mana by tapping for a bunch of mana using the Pemmin's Aura to untap itself and just keep going and going and going. So this is also an infinite mana creator if you want to go down that route as well. So, you know, there's that also to look forward to. Cool. Well, and even... Like Sarah's Sanctum occasionally would come down in games and the person would have no enchantments in play. So it wouldn't do anything. Yes. This is an enchantment. So this always is at the very least a Llanowar Elf. Like it always taps for something. Yeah. I, I'm just going to need Joey to stop hanging out with a CAG member Charlotte Sable uh, giving all those Pemmanzaras type of ideas because <laughs> um, flashbacks to twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. Um, that did a lot of work, so let's let's not give people that idea. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break and talk about something that Green already has had access to, and now it gets another one. It's called Timeless Witness, which is a throwback to Eternal Witness, which shows up in over 82,000 decks, by the way. So Timeless Witness is another version for four mana. When it enters the battlefield, you return target card from your graveyard to your hand. This one's also a 2-1, but it also has Eternalize, so you can make a 4-4 token copy of it by exiling it from your graveyard, and the Eternalize cost is seven mana. So... This is another Eternal Witness. Like, it's not going to supplant Eternal Witness by any means, but like the four mana cost, that doesn't mean that it's worse than Eternal Witness. It means that you can birthing pod from one Eternal Witness into a Timeless Witness, and I'm losing my mind again. Like, if, if this didn't have Eternalize, if it was just a strictly worse Eternal Witness, it would still show up in 20,000 decks. Yes. Just for the ability to blink it and recur it and all the, th- all, all the reason Eternal Witness is great, this would just be a slightly worse version of Eternal Witness that costs one more mana, but it has Eternalize, so there's going to be situations where it's it's even better see I, I i actually the resident green player was not terribly impressed with this because at this point too green has a lot of regrowth type of effects um so playing paying four mana for a two one version like yes if you're gonna abuse it you're gonna abuse it and that's fine but like i'm i am never going to cast the eternalized cost ever at seven seven mana is so much mana it's fine but like i'm i'm not super impressed like i'm sure people will play it because it's going to be much cheaper than eternal witness and that there's some merit to that but i mean there's a lot of different versions of these effects that like i said there's probably 10 15 regrowth effects and i'm not sure that this is one of the best five the difference is this is on a body whereas things like marin and and carador and maldrotha can abuse it um, so it will see plenty of play, but you're right. There's a lot of competition in those slots for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing the decks that are going to abuse it, yeah, like that's always going to happen with every card, but like the generic green deck, like I'm not sure this makes it the cut in any of my just green X decks. Yeah. But like for, for my purposes, you know, most of the reanimation stuff I can do is strictly tied to creatures. So creatures that can get spells back for me are pretty impressive. And this will absolutely join alongside them because it's pretty insane. You are right, though, that I doubt I'll ever use the eternalized cost. But you know what? It's nice to have the option, I guess, because green needs more options. Speaking of which, Dana, tell us about our next green card. Up next, we have Foundation Breaker, um, three and a green for an elemental, uh, two, two. When Foundation Breaker enters the battlefield, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment. And it has a Voke for one and a green. So it's just a way to wreck stage something for a little bit cheaper. I would I would love to have a two mana uh, evoke the sacrifices so that I get an experience counter from my Marin. Yes, yes, I would like to have that. Or I only need to pay two mana in a Muldrotha deck to get that effect. Yes, and, and it goes right back to the graveyard so I can do it again next turn. That sounds great. Or, or just automatically dome somebody on an Omnath Locage of Rage deck because it's an elemental. That's exact. I didn't realize that was an elemental until we started looking at the show notes. And uh, yeah, 100% is going into Omnath because I'm already playing, uh, was it Seal of Primordium? 
And this is just a better version of that for that deck. Tur turns out putting a relevant creature type on a creature um, makes more decks want to play it. <laughs> This is usually where they like make it a goat or an ox or something, so it like can't interact with something like that. But nope, they they made it an elemental. Okay, uh, I need a moment. Uh, so Matt, <laughs> tell us about our next green card. So the next green card, uh, Herd Bailoff. It's going to be three green green for a four four beast. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Herd Bailoff, you may create a four four green beast creature token. Um, I'm as soon as this card is previewed, everybody jumped about uh, I uh, what was it Ivy Lane Denizen, where whenever creatures comes in the battlefield, you put a plus one plus one counter on a creature, which you would then put on Herd Bailoth to start the process all over again. Um, a lot of pl plus one plus one counter decks in general are just going to love this card. Cathar's Crusade is another one. When a creature enters, you can put plus one counters on all your creatures. So Herd Bailoth may make you a four four, so you can do it all over again. This is a combo thing. Once again, I'm like, I'm trying to keep myself together, but this this is pretty good. And we're not even halfway through green and Joey's already <laughs> losing his mind. But there's also like a, a very obvious twist on kind of the, the most recent uh, Iridescent Horn Beetle, um, which was a creature that at the end of your turn, you created uh, uh, one one tokens for every plus one plus one counter that was put onto creatures this turn. Whereas this only cares specifically about uh, plus one plus one counters that are put onto Herd Bailoff itself. So it's a little bit of a twist. Um, this is obviously the combo heavy version of that, but it's still a very, very powerful card, obviously. Yeah, a good thing to shout there. Like there might be a, a difference in like whether you're going to get multiple instances of putting counters on things or if you just want to put a whole bunch of counters on things, in which case there are two different green options for you. So you've got plenty of options to choose from there. Matt, Sylvan Anthem has to be catching your eye, no? In the words of Dana, it's green doing things that white normally does only better. <laughs> um, it's an Anthem effect that uh, has the tacked on ability to scry you one. So Sylvan Anthem, green green for an enchantment green creatures you get or green creatures you control get plus one plus one and then whenever a green creature enters the battlefield under your control you scry one um this kind of has some path of an or path of discovery vibes excuse me um it's fine like if, if you're playing a very go wide deck um this is going to do a lot of damage and then just the scry one is just extra bonus um it's kind of cool effect but I, i'm not really sure if i have any decks specifically that go wide enough to benefit from this that's fair it's notable that it also includes your tokens so like there is a way to get a lot of scry off of this yeah. and that's pretty significant but uh, it, it does also probably require a bit more dedication than the typical anthem maybe yeah i definitely think you know if you're just playing a green beater creature deck this doesn't do you any good but if you're playing some kind of an elf deck or a very dedicated token deck in that deck you were going to churn through your your top cards of your library when you put in those you know 14 avengers endicar tokens or something um you're going to find the card you need very very easily with this in addition to it working as an anthem so if anything the scry portion of this is maybe the most valuable part what's amazing to me you remember how wizards of the coast told us that gaia's anthem was a color shift away that like you know that gaia's anthem is a green anthem but like green's not usually supposed to do that its anthems are supposed to be tied to the fact of whether it has creatures it's creatures is supposed to be like beastmaster ascension you rely upon creatures to pump up your stuff but apparently gaia's anthem is within green slice of the color pie after all, instead of being a plain shift uh, color bend. So that's nice to see. But also wizards told us that scry would be primary in white. And then stuff like Sylvan Anthem comes around and says, I'm a better version of white cards that also has scry tacked on. And I'm probably not even the best green anthem out there. This would be killer if it was white, but it's probably like green's ninth or like 10th, 11th best anthem out there. And that's just a oh, hurts in the feels. Yeah, totally agree. Up next here, we have a blessed respite. An instant speed for one and a green, and says target player shuffles their graveyard into their library, Rude. and then prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn. So you have two independent clauses there. Um, neither are, are required to succeed for the other one to go off. So you can stop someone from doing graveyard stuff, which I know Joey hates. Mm -hmm. You can save your graveyard at least some, somewhat, so putting it into your library, and you can fog. Um, that's pretty useful over the OG Fog for just paying one more colorless mana. This is one of the best cards I've ever seen for Dana to be able to simultaneously scupper my strategy and Matt's combat step in the same turn. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very powerful effect. Like, regular Fogs maybe aren't worth it, but we've talked about some some Fogs with upside on the, on the show, whether it's Arachnogenesis, where you can create some, some tokens in Fog, or you can be like Joey's favorite uh, Moments Peace, where you have a repeatable Fog. Um, whenever you put... 
a fog plus onto a card like it's always worth a little bit of a consideration um this one like their graveyard decks are very very popular in commander so throwing that effect onto a fog um yeah sign me up yeah i mean usually you'd have to take a dedicated card slot to something like a relic of progenitus to just have grave hate in there this also is a useful effect even if there isn't a graveyard player at the table like this is two birds with one stone and I am dreading seeing it show up in both of your guys' lists. Because you, you are both birds both. with that one stone. Oh no, it's it, it's funny because it's true. Next we have Endurance for one green green. It's an elemental incarnation, um, a three four with flash and reach and evoke. <laughs> um, when Endurance ETBs up to one target player puts all of the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order, and the evoke cost is you exile a green card from your hand, similar to all the mythic evokes in this in the set. Um, graveyard hate, Joey. Mm. This card is is made to uh, make you miserable. Yep, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this and and Matt's Matt's beat down decks as well, because Matt is a lover of cards like Scavenging Ooze, and this seems like a pretty efficient coupling up with that. This is a super efficient version of that, like the. The only reason this card isn't going to be in 20,000 decks is because it's probably going to be pretty pricey. Like, this is a a super powerful card that I know modern players are extremely excited about. Um, It is Modern Horizons, after all. Um, But a lot of players are going to want to have a lot of copies of this, whether you're commander players and you want to put this in a lot of green decks, or you're modern players that you want to have your playset plus. Um, This card is just... It's wild. It's it's so good. I don't know why this has flash. Um... (laughs) I circled around to this card probably four or five times and it did something new every single time. Yeah. And it's like, it's a three, four for three. Like it's a very good body. It's just a good body. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once again, it's an elemental. So like in the decks that care about that, that's a pretty relevant creature type. Omnath again is going to lightning bolt somebody when you evoke this. Dana, why do you have to tell me all these creatures are elementals? I don't want to spend all this money. I'm ruining your budget for the month you, of June. You totally are. <laughs> Yeah, like so, you know, a card like Loaming Shaman, which is a, a card that also shuffles graveyards, uh, it has to die for the shuffle effect to work. It only shows up in like 2200 decks. But then there's also stuff like Scavenging Ooze, which shows up in 17,000. So I feel like this is a pretty in demand effect, not least because you can shuffle your own graveyard back to start Green Sun Zenithing out your creatures again if you need to. Like, there are very few fail states on this card. And once again, it's nice to not have to dedicate a slot to something like Relic of Progenitus when you can just play an efficient creature alongside it that you can also blink, that you can also recur. Like, this. This thing seems pretty darn annoying. And like Matt said, the num- reasons for its numbers not being super high will most likely be a result of price, but like it's an admirable little beater and I'm I'm loving all of the green graveyard hate in this set. It's so like if you had to ask me like what this price like what this card like would never go below like it's never going to be cheaper than $20. Like just looking at it, like I hope it does. I really 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 do because I really don't want to spend $20 a copy on this. It, it, it seems pretty darn good, and I'm not happy about it. So I say you shouldn't play it. I don't think you need it. It's too expensive. Mm. You don't need this card. It's fine. It's fine. Well, well, if nobody in your pot has a Blessed Respite, and nobody in your pot has an Endurance, then maybe you can successfully cast Gaia's Will. Ah, our next one. Yes. Tell us all about it, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gaia's Will is, is the Suspend card from, from green. Um, suspend four for a single green mana, so then you have four turns before it fires off. And it's Yogmas Will in green. So until the end of turn, you may play lands and cast spells from your graveyard. And if a card will be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, you exile that card instead. It's straight up a Yogmas Will in green with suspend. See, I waiting four turns for this, like the the time cost, like we talked about this with all the other suspend cards, like this is the, the largest number and like I have zero desire to play this card. I think that's completely fair. This one strikes me especially as you probably need to be playing a Cascade deck for this to be in any way reliable. And I think there's plenty that you can do with it in that shell, but like it's probably not worth it outside of that. But it is kind of like... Listen, I know that this ability probably should never have been in black in the first place, but on top of everything else that Green got this set, did it need this too? Yeah, um... No, it didn't. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's your answer, Joey. It did not. Um, I, again, because like if this is in white, where it probably you could make the argument it could be a white effect, um, then it's much more interesting because there's a lot less you know powerful cards in white and their graveyard recursion stuff tends to be a little bit weaker than what we've got in green. There's no Eternal Witness or four mana Eternal Witness in, in um, white. Um, I think it's much more interesting there. And I think, unfortunately, in green... 
because there's so many other options, waiting four turns is a pretty huge ask. I mean, Joey, Joey brought up a really good point. Like if you're doing cascade type things or you're cheating, you know, playing this, like that's fine. But like also the, there's a whole format full of just unfair cheating things that you can be doing too. So like, does this compete with those? Like, are, is the, the payoff worth the effort? So I'm not really sure, but I, I don't see it being that. Yeah, but still notable to see what green is expanding itself into in terms of the color pie. That is one of the biggest stories overall from this set. So that's what we've got from the green cards. A whole lot of green cards that could be very, very relevant and way too many graveyard exiling effects for my liking. So how about we move on and talk about some artifacts instead? Dana, you've got an artifact deck. Tell us about some of the artifacts that stand out to you from this set. Um, you know, there's one that I haven't seen much conversation about, which is Nettle Cyst for three mana. Um, it's an equipment, but it's a living weapon equipment. So when you uh, cast it, when an ETB is, you create a zero, zero black Phyrexian germ. But the important thing here is equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. So immediately this is a three, three that comes into play. And in the decks that are built around doing artifact and or enchantment things, this is going to be really big, really, really often. And you also have the option to equip it for a relatively cheap price onto something that maybe has evasion or double strike or something. Um, there's a lot of decks where this is just going to be a absolute bomb. Doesn't it come down immediately as a 1-1 naturally? Or are you just sort of assuming like a lot of mana rocks pretty generally? I I'm assuming you're not going to be running it in a deck that doesn't have a bunch of things that are feeding it. Like you're not going to put this in a, just a normal deck. It's going to be like yeah. in my Vela deck where I have, you know, 49 different artifacts in there. Yeah, uh, this seems especially nice for any version of Akiri. Uh, equipment decks are probably interested. If you're making a lot of food, here's a way to weaponize them. If you're making a lot of treasure tokens, here's another way to make it interesting and weaponize them. I would personally resist it in an Enchantress deck. It does count Enchantresses, but it's not an enchantment itself. So that does feel like a little bit of a non-bow there. Um, or Matt, maybe this is something you'd actually really like to play in your Alila deck. It would be something I would play in my Alila deck. But I mean, Enchantress decks and enchantment theme decks, uh, if you go to edhrec.com, check out the themes page. Um, Helm of the Gods is getting played in a lot of enchantment decks. Um, we've challenged that before, but I like this a little bit more because it, it at least counts itself. Um, so it's it, that was one of our biggest flaws. Like, why would you play this if it's not even gonna feed itself? Um, that said, like, I, I think all three of us are still a little, little, you know, hesitant to put this in the in those decks. But if you're playing both, like my Alila deck, um, this is gonna be a pretty heavy hitter. Um, it's it's pretty sweet. I like it. Um, I think we all do, yeah. Yeah, get, get you a nettle cyst that can do both. Uh, so we're not <laughs> quite done with equipment. There are still plenty of other equipment to get onto. So here's a card that has gotten plenty of hype. Sword of Hearth and Home, one of the new Sword of Cycles. So a three mana sword that equips her two, gives plus two, plus two, and protection from two different colors, in this case from green and from white. And whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you exile up to one target creature you own, search your library for a basic land card, and put both onto the battlefield under your control, and then shuffle. So it's a callback a bit to sort of the Animist, which also fetches you a land when you attack, and it can blink one of your creatures. A lot of buzz about this one. Matt, it's protection from your colors, so I imagine that this is one that maybe you're a little bit salty about first. Uh, no, because I'm going to put it in those decks. <laughs> ah, so, yes, I see. Um, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> th this card is, it, dude, it's nutty. Like, we, we talked about those decks that like to spam and, and, and abuse the Enter the Battlefield abilities. Um, this is that combined with, like you said, Joey, a sort of the Animus type of ability. Um, this is very, very... Uh, how many varies do I have time for? Because that's how that's how good this card is. Here, here tell you what, Sword of the Animist appears in thirty three thousand decks, so this is pretty clearly a an in demand effect for an equipment that finds you lands. So that many varies thirty three thousand. And this this I know this won't be in that many decks because this is going to be a pricey card. Yes, there is people people there. are going to want so many of these. It's also much more universally useful than the two swords we got in Modern Horizons one. Both of which were fine, but they tended to be targeted towards relatively specific commander decks that wanted, say, the proliferate effect or something. Um, in this case, this is just good in a ton of decks. Like, there's just so many good ETB creatures in commander. There's so many decks that want a ramp that don't have access to green. 
it's just a useful piece of equipment that protects you from the best targeted removal spells that target creatures and sorts of plowshares and path of exile. Yeah. Um, just does a lot of great things that are accidentally going to be applicable to your deck. And like you say, it, it protects from the best single target creature removal. Um, it protects from the best creatures, like yeah. protection from green. And that's, if you're playing creatures, you're probably playing green. Like that's just how this format is at this point. Um, I the the protection is super super relevant. Yeah, especially if you're trying to get like deal combat damage to players. Um, being able to evade a lot of blockers is very powerful. Yeah, th this I think might be the second best sword still behind Feast and Famine because those payoffs are especially powerful. And I think that this sword will run into occasions where there isn't necessarily always a creature for you to blink, especially if you're playing like an equipment deck where you might just have one creature that is equipped with a bunch of stuff that you don't want to leave the battlefield. But like this is an in-demand effect with protection from two insanely useful colors to have protection from. Like I'm scared of this, Matt's scared of this, and we both want to play it in decks that we've got. I See, I, ooh, I I would put this at 1B, two Feast and Famines, 1A. That's how keen I am on this card. That's good. I like that. That's very fair. Absolutely. Um, we're not done with equipment, though. So uh, <laughs> since I think I can hear Tomer from MTG Goldfish um, <laughs> screaming in delight at this current moment, uh, call, uh, Dana, can you tell us all about why he might be so excited for this whole Cauldra thing? So way back in the first Mirrodin block, there were three pieces of equipment that if you got them assembled on the same creature, um, you made a token and it was a 5-5 five five that had indestructible in, in a bunch of things. And this is kind of one of those achievement unlocked things that Tomer in particular has been trying to do for a long time is <laughs> get the three cauldra pieces out and get them assembled. And they're right here assembled for you on a creature that's okay, it's a little bit evil, but you know, some of the work's been done for you, so that's that's pretty cool. So what else does this thing do? This is a lot of a lot of words for one mythic equipment. It's seven mana for a legendary artifact equipment. Um it's a living weapon, so it it comes into play attached to a Frexian germ, a zero zero, but it has indestructible um itself, the the equipment does, and the equipped creature gets plus five plus five. It has first strike, it has trample, it has indestructible, it has haste, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a creature, exile that creature. So immediately this thing is a 5-5 five five with every keyword that matters. Um, and yes, you have to spend seven to equip it elsewhere, but if you're playing an equipment deck, you probably have ways to cheat that cost as well. Yeah, this this thing is a beater. Like I, I want to do a Modern Horizons 2 draft just to maybe open this and just crush. Like I don't, I don't see how the, you lose playing this card. You know, importantly, it doesn't give vigilance and lifelink. So if you are playing Tesa Karlov, you can supply it with two other keywords if you would like to do that for your tokens. <laughs> Speaking of which, this is attached to a token right from the off. So Temet, uh, the Vizier of Noctamoon, is probably really excited to have another token that he can make unblockable. It's occurring to me that maybe Tomer isn't happy about this card because he'll probably want to attach all of the cauldron pieces to this germ, <laughs> which might be uh, pushing the goalpost even farther for him. Um, but yeah, if you're playing equipment, like that's a tough equip cost that you can circumvent with creatures like Arden, for example, the partner that can auto-attach things for you. Or Nizan is another equipment deck whose hammer allows you to auto-attach stuff. You've got stuff like Pure Steel Paladin as well that can make your equip costs zero. Speaking of which, Sir Gwyn is a knight that lets your equipment attach to knights for zero. Like, this thing's got homes. This thing gone crush. Yeah, it's really... Well, and, and in addition to being good, it's as I've said, it's just a super fun callback that a lot of people have been waiting to see kind of on a card. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one of the beauties of this set is just seeing all the kind of tendrils back into Magic's history. Yeah, this, this set manages to feel simultaneously like a silver-bordered set that is mm -hmm. also time spiral. Right. Like making all of those all of those throwbacks. Like there's a lot of love going in here. And you know what? Speaking of time spiral, how about a new suspend card? Soul Talisman? <laughs> a zero mana, sorry, not zero mana, a costless artifact that you have to suspend for three to play, which only costs one mana, and it taps for two colorless. So it's a soul ring that you have to lay away to in order to play. I'm a little bit softer on this one compared to some of the other artifacts that we've discussed so far. It's better than Mox Tantalite, probably, um, which isn't that good of a card, I guess. If you see it in your hand in the first couple of turns, it's pretty great. After that, I don't know if you want to have to wait three turns for a Soul Ring, but there are decks like we, we mentioned Doretti previously um, in the Brea's um, Apprentice segment. Even if you draw this on turn seven or eight or something, there are situations where like pitching it um, and then bringing it back into play with with your commander is pretty useful. So 
There are corner cases, I think, where decks want this, but it's a far cry away from being Soul Ring. The people that wanted this card banned, I, I there was some, some Twitter discourse that this card was going to be um, outrageous, and I... I don't see it. Like you said, Dana, Mox Tantalite, not a terribly frightful card. Um, waiting three turns for a Soul Ring isn't what I want to be doing on turn 10. Yeah. I, I think that another commander like Ozgear might also enjoy it, like finding ways to, to discard this, and then he can just zero get another free double Soul Ring-ish uh, sort of thing going to play from the graveyard. Like, that's probably another great home for it, but it does seem a lot more niche um, compared. And like, th- this is a fair version of Soul Ring, and I'm perfectly happy with it. Glad that it exists. Does it? Yeah, it's, it's, fi- it's a fine card. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Here's a weird card. Academy Manufacturer. This is a three-mana artifact creature assembly worker, a 1-3 that says if you would create a clue you uh, or a food or a treasure token, instead you create one of each. This initially passed me by, but the more I look at it, the more I'm like, whoa, that seems really excellent. Like, Guillaume makes food, but now he'll also make other stuff alongside it. Or the new Lonus card as well, create, it creates clue tokens, so now you get one of each every time that you're doing that. Like, this is also a card that maybe has niche homes, but it will be very impressive in those places. Yeah, like you said, th- this is going to be impressive in a lot of different decks, because if you're making clue tokens consistently, um, this is going to be very good. If you're making food tokens consistently, it's going to be very good. Like, this, this just does so many good things. So, like... Yeah, being able to create a bunch of food or treasure tokens, like put this next to Smothering Tithe, you're never going to run out of cards. <laughs> no, you're going to have so many clue tokens. That's insane. Magna Brazen Outlaw also creates treasure tokens for you. So this is another amplification to that. Malcolm, the pirate partner, that also creates stuff. The new Galazeth Prismari also creates tr- this. Oh, there's a lot of. Yep. Yep. I like it. I like it in those decks. That is cool. This is a cool card. Silly cards are silly, man. Especially because it's treasure tokens on here. You know, we might go a long time before we see clues and food again, but they seem to be willing to put treasures in all kinds of different sets. And this is the kind of card that not only is very relevant in a bunch of decks right now, but is going to continue to become relevant as new commanders come out, like the ones you mentioned, that do interact with treasures, or as new cards come out that you put in your deck that make treasures. So this is a very good card in a bunch of places now, and it's going to be a very good card in new decks as new things get released. Yeah, like if you are a Boros deck that has a consistent way to create treasure tokens, this is a version of finding card advantage. And that's useful. Like there's there's a lot of extra tricks that you can do with this. And I'm excited and scared. Yeah, for sure. Um, Up next, we have Dermotaxi, the best named card in the set. (laughs) Um, It's it's a two mana zero zero artifact vehicle. It has imprint. So as Dermotaxi enters the battlefield, you exile a creature card from a graveyard. Any graveyard, not just yours, from a graveyard. And you may tap to untap creatures you control until end of turn. Dermotaxi becomes a copy of the exiled card, except it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types. So you just exile a thing and your um, Dermotaxi becomes a copy of that thing, which is uh, pretty gross, but um, uh, a pretty fantastic card effect for sure. You can't tell me this card, like the art for it, was not inspired by the car from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> like the, 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 the giant dog rolling down the street. Like it looks exactly like this. This this strikes me as like weird, but it will be more powerful than I think it's going to be. Like it sounds a little bit like, uh, I mean, is that really going to happen if there's like, you know, two squirrels crewing the body of an Emrakul the Promised End or something like that? Like, I don't know if that's necessarily the cards, but the fact is that it could be. And when it could be, it'll be very, very difficult to actually deal with because that is one of the beautiful things about vehicles is that if you've only got sorcery speed types of removal, they resist things like board wipes really consistently. So if you've got good creatures to get rid of, especially if I'm playing a graveyard deck, like, yeah, you won't get the ETB abilities of any of the creatures that you exile. But if you make a version of like a grave titan off of this, you're probably doing okay. Yeah, I, I would feel perfectly okay with um, a couple of squirrels crewing my sun titan dermotaxi. That'd be a perfectly fine thing to do. Well, and, and guys, b- believe it or not, like we're still not done with artifacts either. <laughs> Um, I know we spent a lot of time on green um, artifacts equally getting um, a lot of gems here. So uh, next up, we have Void Mirror, um, which is two mana for an artifact that says whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was spent to cast it, you counter that spell. And I know quite a few people um, seem to be con- you know up in arms about this card. But what do you guys think about it? I'm sad for Ashlyn Rose because of her fantastic colorless Kozilek deck. And I'm also never going to play it against Ashlyn Rose because that just seems mean. Yeah. And, you know, it it is a Kozilek deck, though. So, like, Ashlyn's a wonderful person and she plays a relatively fair Kozilek deck. 
there's a lot of Cosmic decks out there running like 40 mana rocks where Cosmic is coming down on turn four or something where I don't, where I feel way less sympathetic <laughs> when this Void Mirror comes out. Um, I, I do feel bad for the people playing Traxos or Hope of Kirapur, where it just, like, those decks are pretty tough to make a super crazy powerful version, and you are just going to get beaten when this comes down. But outside of that, this kind of feels like a card that, for the most part, hoses decks and strategies that kind of deserve to get hosed <laughs> and probably are playing at a power level where they should be able to deal with it or there's a bigger issue at play. Wait, so you're saying that it's fair to counter my fierce guardianship that I cast for free, Dana? I think the fact that you get to cast a counterspell for free, and this is occasionally, <laughs> not all the time, occasionally going to be in play and prevent that, is perfectly reasonable. I think occasionally someone turning off your um, Mox Opal for free is probably a reasonable thing to have happen on occasion. Yeah, I, I agree with all this. Like, it's it's a fine card. Like, it's going to be more powerful in higher power level settings. Like, yeah. the more powerful decks that people are playing, the more this is going to do. Like, if you're playing a battle cruiser, everybody's just having fun, doing whatever. Like, this card's going to do literally zero. Like, the more unfair things you do, the more this does. And like, Sheldon Mennery had a really good comment on it in his set review. Um, said, you know, it's it's getting easier and easier with power creep all over the place to do unfair things. And like, this just makes those unfair things a little harder to do. And that the format needs cards like this. And like, I tend to agree, like, if you're playing any deck that has any colors in it, um, tap a basic planes and you get around this card. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's not that hard, people. Just tap, play more basics. And you are totally fine. Yeah, pay, pay lands to play spells. And that's also just the thing. Like, this is ultimately, aside from, like, a place where it is a, a higher power meta, like, this is a, a thing that is not going to show up. It is so, so niche that it almost, like, th this is not a card that I expect to see, but it is certainly relevant for purposes of discussion. Like, and, and the decks that get hosed by this, like, it, yes, there are decks out there that, like, struggle to do anything with this, but, like, less than 1% of decks out there in the wild are those true colorless decks. And I really struggle to see the rules committee banning a card over less than 1% of decks not being able to play. Like this, Iona stopped more people from playing than this. Right, the, one of my favorite takes on this, because there was plenty of dialogue about this card when it was coming out and plenty. folks were really up in arms about it. And I saw a lot of, what was it that um, Angelo at the Jess guy on Twitter, a fantastic follow, one of, I think he put it best, where he said something to the effect of, a lot of, my deck is only a seven, people seem really frustrated about this card. <laughs> right, yes. It sort of seems kind of the, the tempo of, of, of that, I think. Yeah, Void Mirror, it's fine. You're probably not going to see it. It's very, very niche, but it's certainly interesting. Are we done with the artifacts? Like, there, there's some other stuff here, but I think we might need to move on because there's still plenty of other... Kind of? We are, yeah, we are kind, kind of, of done yes. with the artifacts because... We got a cycle of 10 different artifact lands. Ah. Because what could go wrong with artifact lands? So yeah, they all enter the battlefield tapped. They're all indestructible. And there's one for each color pair. Dana, are you singing these praises? Like, you got to be happy about artifact lands, yeah? I mean, I, I have two decks that care about the amount of artifacts in play. I will be jamming both of these into those decks. My Vela deck in particular cares about artifacts in play. So I'll be putting the artifact land in there as well as energy deposit, which was the 11th. Artifact land we got in this set will be in there as well. They're relative in commander. They're way less broken than they have been in, in, in other formats and they will continue to be perfectly fine in commander. They're also relatively niche. I, I don't think anyone's going to be running these unless you're on a super budget. Um, just to have them as a dual land. They, they're pretty safe there, and I'm glad to see them added to the format. Yeah, they're a fine cycle. It's good mana fixing. It's interesting space. The, the fact they come in to play tapped, I think they won't get near as out of hand as they did in modern. Yeah. Or the single, the single color ones, I should say. Indeed. So moving on now, I thought that we were done with green doing stuff and other, other slices of the color pie, and it, it turns out, um, nope. Turns out we're not done with that. It turns out that they also made a card called Yavamaya Cradle Growth, which is the green version of Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth, a legendary land where each land is a forest in addition to its other land types. I'm not upset about this at all. I'm not upset about it. I'm not upset about this at all. Now every land can be a bayou. Uh, like, this is good. Like, people use Urborg just to, you know, get a bit more security with color fixing. Urborg also obviously has synergies with stuff like Cabal Coffers. Green doesn't have its own Cabal Coffers equivalent. It does have creatures that get bigger based on the number of forests that you control. So stuff like Multani or Ashaya can certainly try and take advantage of situations like this. So that is certainly noteworthy. But I'm also just like, what? Watsi, did green need this too? Um, white did. 
White could have used this, I think. <laughs> That'd been uh, pretty useful there. I don't know if green did. It's, it's better in green than it is in white, but I would have rather have seen this on a white land for sure. I um, don't know. Red would then just go like flash fires crazy with it. So I guess, yeah. Better. Yeah, I, I, I don't like this design space, honestly. Like, just because it was done in the past, I don't think is, it should it should not be a green light to, to keep playing in that space. Well, yes, the point about the design space, Matt, is before we even get into all the things this interacts with nicely, I will mention like I drafted a ton of M15 back in the day. So I walked away from those drafts with half a dozen copies of Urborg when it was a $4-ish card that I have just kept over the years. And every black deck I've built, literally every one in the, in the time since, I've put Urborg in because why not turn my strip mine into a swamp? Or if it's a two or three color deck, why not color fix perfectly with that Urborg in play? Um, if you do nothing else but color fixing, it's worth running probably in the decks that can run it. And that's before we even get into the combo. So like it becomes kind of staple-ish in a way. And I, I don't necessarily love those cards. I, I really don't want them to keep doing this. I, I like if if they if they do this with with mountains, um, there's going to be some problems because Valakut already exists. Um, if they do that with planes, like like you said, Joey, flash fires exist. Like uh, I I think this is kind of dangerous. Like I try not to be too hard on on R and D, but like this one, I'm I'm really struggling with. Yeah. So speaking of like stuff that you can do with it, you know. Multani, I mentioned earlier, is probably really happy. Ashaya as well. But then there's also a handful of cards like Ambush Commander or Life and Limb that will have additional synergies with the fact that this is turning everything into forests. And Patron of the Orochi is another card that can untap all of your forests for you as well. So like there are some unique ways to take advantage of this effect. Personally, though, I anticipate that the commander that likes this the most is uh, Kethis of the Hidden Hand because it's another mana-producing legendary land that Kethis's ability can allow you to take advantage of too. Well, up last among the lands here, um, we have our first enchantment land. Land. That's Urza's Saga, which is a saga that's not from Urza's Saga. <laughs> Got all of that. You're one ahead of me. Urza's Saga, the first um, chapter, it gains tap and add a colorless mana to your mana pool. The second chapter spends two and tap to create a zero, zero colorless construct artifact creature with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. So a construct, as they're called. And the third chapter, you search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one and put it on the battlefield and then shuffle. So you can go get your soul ring or one of your artifact lands, for example. Oh, it cannot get artifact lands, actually. The oh, card it does. Okay. Yeah, it Good needs to, to have a cost of zero or one. So a zero mana rock is fine if you have like a mana crypt on hand or a skull clamp is good, but artifact lands don't have a cost. So it cannot get those, which is the only bad thing I have to say about this card. So you, you couldn't get a suspend thing as well if there was an artifact suspend card then for that, for example. This is a very fascinating thing to see. And I'm going to level with you. I forgot that it was an enchantment. So I suspect that there might be a handful of constellation decks out there that are interested in a land that they can use for constellation triggers. Like that seems pretty interesting for sure. But honestly, that token is no joke. Like if you've ever seen folks make copies of those tokens that buff themselves up for each artifact, if you get multiples of them, they get out of hand really quickly. So having a land that can produce those and that will then just finish off by probably going and finding your soul ring once it's dead after the third chapter. I like this thing. This thing seems real cool. Not a staple everywhere, obviously, but like if I'm playing an artifact deck, I'm interested. Well, th that second mode doesn't go away either. So when you come to the third chapter, you, you you can still on the third turn, you use it to make a second construct token. And I really just, I really like that third chapter. There's some really juicy targets. Yes, it can get your soul ring, but there's some other really good targets out there. Um, the Ozolith only costs one mana and you can get the Ozolith with this um, animation module. Uh, that goes a little silly with all sorts of different things. And and if you really want to like just poo-poo on Joey, um, rain on his parade, um, you can get Grafdigger's Cage really too. Um, that is that is an option. Or Tormod's Crypt or Relic of Progenitus or Soul Guide Lantern or Nihil Spellbomb. So many options. Pithing Needle, like just shut down anything and everything. Stop. No, we're done. So places that this <laughs> this card might also show up. Like artifact decks, I think are interested in this. If you're playing an Urza deck, like this seems like it's probably going to be nice to go find something. I think potentially Emery or Joyra might also really like this because you can go and find more artifacts and you'll have plenty in play that that token will make. A colorless deck generally is probably a great home for this. But honestly, the one I'm most excited to see this is for a Bruticlad deck. Make a copy of that token and then turn all of your tokens into Karnstrux and they all count each other as they're buffing up. 
that seems especially spicy. And, what, and the, the absolute best part about this is I can just pull a basic land to make room for it. Yeah. So it's an easy way to, <laughs> it's easy to slot into my deck. Just, I'll just go down to six basics, I guess. That's uh, that's that's pretty messed up. But there's also, you can use some untappy shenanigans with this. So like if you've got a Seedborn Muse, once it hits chapter two, you can use that ability of return or like a Derevi deck maybe might untap this thing multiple times and then use it a whole bunch. It is an enchantment. So I think Estrid the Masked would also work for that. Like, there's some untappy stuff that you can do with this too. Like, this is a cool card. I'm a little bit scared about it. Yeah, it, it's good. It also seems like so long ago that we first saw this card too. Like, it seems like it may as well have been in call time. Oh man. Okay, so now I think we're done with the lands. Uh, let's move. There's a small number of multicolored cards that we should probably address. Matt, is there one that jumps out to you? Um, one that seems intriguing that's kind of like uh, probably one of the better mana dorks in gruel colors uh, is Goblin and Narcomancer. Anarchomancer. I, it, it probably As loves Marantica, Dyson, <laughs> No, wait, that's different. <laughs> yes, the, the Mary Poppins song um, <laughs> on a goblin. Um, so it's, it's green and a red for a 2-2 goblin shaman. And each spell that you cast that's red or green costs one less to cast. So uh, we talk about how like the, I believe it's the, the medallion cycle um, makes all your spells of a certain color one less to cast. Um, those add up it like you get a lot of discounts over the you know over the course of a couple turns um i like this this is a, a pretty potent spell and I'm, I'm curious to see how many decks this shows up in especially since it's just a common yeah like the fact that this hits all of your red or green spells like that is pretty big that will hit the majority of your deck because these are the two colors that probably won't have a ton of artifacts in the deck that would take up you know slots where they that doesn't do anything to these spells like to my mind in the decks where this will be will be useful i feel like it's a little bit better than the typical goblin electromancer that it's throwing back to because that only affects your instants and sorceries and even in spellslinger decks sometimes the instants and sorceries that you're playing are just one mana cantrips that the electromancer doesn't help with and those are only like comprising like usually about a third of your deck so that doesn't help you with the mana on all of your spells like some of the cool enchantments or creatures that you might be playing. And an Archimancer doesn't have that problem. Like, this seems really great for Gruul. Well, speaking of cards like are really great in specific decks, or there's one more gold card I want to mention here. Um, it's an artifact creature, um, Aether Sworn Sphinx. Um, seven white and blue, so it's nine mana. However, it has affinity for artifacts and flying and cascade for a 4-4. In the decks that want to run this, um, so, we, you know, we talked about Brea before. Um, my Sphinx deck happens to have about 15 artifacts in it. So very frequently, it's going to be quite cheap to cast there. But like in that Brea deck, this is oftentimes going to come down pretty early in the game for two mana as a 4-4 with flying. That's going to then get you something probably possibly quite giant for free from your library. There's a lot of value to be had in decks that are going to consistently be able to cast this really really cheaply yeah you've got a lot of really great value commons and uncommons happening here and i do think that after this point they do start drifting a little bit more you know niche places for them but like there's still going to be some gems from the set that like i find myself looking over the spoiler and being like wait that was from this, <laughs> right. this set has that that card too like it definitely feels like one of those i keep on finding new cards from the set every time that i look at it so you'll find more gems from there for sure Let's, real quick, since we have gone a little bit long, let's wrap up now with a handful of notes on the Planeswalkers. There are three different Planeswalkers from the set, and we've kind of agreed that before the show, we were talking like, yeah, you know, I think these are also kind of niche. Dakon, the Shadow Slayer, is really cool, but it's an Esper card. Most likely, Amanatu might end up being one of its best homes because it can, you know, get a bit more controlling as the game goes on. But there aren't a ton of homes for this deck. Another one is Geodrone Dihada, which is a Grixis, sort of a villain thing that most likely we're probably going to end up seeing it in like a Nicol Bolas villain-themed deck. But its abilities are a bit more circumscribed that Commander isn't going to be hugely for. But there is an interesting Planeswalker here called Grist the Hunger Tide, and it is a Golgari card, which means that Joey usually really likes it, and it's a Planeswalker that is somehow also a creature with some weird applications. So let's talk about those. Gris the Hunger Tide is a three-mana Golgari Planeswalker with three starting loyalty, but as long as it's not on the battlefield, it counts as a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types. It's got a plus one to create a uh, black and green insect creature token, and you mill a card, and if you mill an insect, you repeat this process, and you get another loyalty counter on Gris. It also has a minus two where you can sacrifice a creature and then destroy a creature or a Planeswalker, and a minus five where each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. But the most notable thing about this card is probably that it can be your commander yeah it, it, 
the rules committee did promise to have a full explanation once the set comes out on the specific rules and how it works, but it all stems from the passive ability of, you know, as long as Grist isn't on the battlefield, it is a 1-1 uh, insect creature in addition to its other types. So it'll be a 1-1 insect creature in addition to being a planeswalker while it is in your command zone. So that's kind of the the bird's eye view of how that works. And people seem to be a little excited to have a planeswalker as your commander. Um, I'm not really sure there's a whole lot of support for Gris the Hunger Tide, though, as your commander. I would have to agree. Like an insect tribal deck seems like the inevitable fate for it as a commander. So it does seem to me that like more often we'll probably see it in the 99 taking advantage of that passive ability in kind of weird ways. Because, for example, you can reanimate this with Marin since it counts as a creature in the graveyard. Or you can tutor for it if you're looking for a creature card. So way back when I came back to Magic like seven-ish years ago or so and first saw Planeswalker cards, there weren't that many of them out there. Um, and they were kind of this unique, mysterious thing that like, oh, I'd see this Jace and it it felt like something very, very special. In the years since then, we've gotten so many Planeswalkers and so many versions of Planeswalkers that they've kind of lost that mystique, at least to me. This is the first Planeswalker card I've seen in a long time that feels like this weird, creepy, mythical alien thing that I don't quite know what to do with. The art is fantastic. It has a great name and all the abilities are so specific and unique to this card. I just love everything about it, even if it isn't the strongest thing ever printed. This is probably my favorite card of the set just as an entity unto itself. It's an absolutely creepy, delightful um, piece of design and I'm probably going to build the deck just because I like the card so much and everything about it. Yes, build more Golgari, Dana. I'm telling <laughs> you, it's such a great strategy. But also, real quick, another thing to note that, like, personally, I suspect that the biggest home for this card will end up being the Sultai Sadisi, because when you mill this, it counts as a creature, so you're not giving up any creature slots in that deck, and it is a card that also helps you mill, and that is a commander who will really enjoy being able to hit that minus five ultimate ability in case you ever get there to make opponents lose a whole bunch of life. But Dana, I'm looking forward to see what you do with this commander as well. I just can't wait to regenerate my Planeswalker commander with a Swarm Yard. That'll be fantastic. Well, it only counts as long as it isn't on the battlefield. Yeah, I, I, it won't actually do anything, but... A, a man can dream. A man can dream, Joey. <laughs> a man can Right, exactly. Okay, guys. So that's a whole bunch of stuff. Modern Horizons 2 is packed to the gills with a bunch of things. So what, what do we think? Like, is there a color that we think fared better than the others? He asks a leading question there. Is there a color that we think didn't perform a whole well? Like, what are overall our thumbs down, thumbs up, A plus, F minus? Like, what are the thoughts that we've got leaving this art review and carrying forward with the knowledge of all of these cards in the format now? Matt? I mean, the, the set is almost certifiably just crazy good. Um, <laughs> there's something for everybody in this set. Like, if you want to play the high power decks, you can do that. If you want to play some battle cruiser, um, you know, middle of the road type of decks, casual, whatever you want to do in commander, like this set has some some gems for you. Um, it's great. It's a success. Um, there's going to be old borders coming back again. There's old border fetch lands, which means Matt needs to take out a, another personal loan um, just to to get all those old border scalding tarns. But like th th this set is is it's it's a success. Like yes, green got every other color's cool stuff, but mm. I mean all that aside, like it's it's very very hard to find too much fault with this. Yeah, it's very much a, a throwback to Magic's history where white and red get left behind, um, but. <laughs> D despite that criticism, it's a, just a delightful set. I love everything about it. I love the the old school like time spiral theme where they're like, "What if this instant was also a goblin and had rampage 3? Like this, <laughs> just the weird combination of things. Like, let's just see what happens. Is always so much fun. Um, it's the the set I'm most anticipating cracking open and playing in, in a long mm -hmm. time. Commander of Legends was great. I think I like this even more. And that's yeah. saying something because that, that was an absolute home run. Getting yeah. this, you know, six months later and, and having me be this excited about it is also is something amazing. Um, someone is doing their job right there at Watsi, and I, I, I love this set. So 
I don't want to completely erase everything that you said, because I do agree. I am personally more excited about this uh, set than I am than I was for Commander Legends. Commander Legends, I'm still holding a teensy bit of a grudge about how part of the marketing for that set was powerful white cards. And then they're like, here's a Seraphic Greatsword. <laughs> so like, I still do kind of take that personally. For this set, like, I'm really digging so much of what's going on here. I do think that Red had the least noteworthy stuff to discuss, and that is a little bit sad to see. I like a lot of the steps that they took with White, but it feels to me like White took steps and Green took strides. Green is the one that just launched forward. Specifically, because it was doing a bunch of stuff, as you noted, that other colors can do. Green got its own Yawgmoth's Will in this set, a better version of Honor of the Pure. It got its own Urborg. It made its own Mana Dork version of Sarasanctum. Oh, there's uh, Karth the Lion, a legendary creature that we didn't even actually address, which is just showing that green and black are better at Planeswalkers than white is because white still only has Jeru. Uh, green has its own version of Empty the Warrens now with a Storm card that we didn't even discuss. And stuff that used to be mythic in green, like Lotus Cobra, is now at Uncommon with Tireless Provisioner. Green is insane at this set. So even though I'm happy that white got steps, it's still being outpaced by the stuff that green is up to. Um, yeah, as good as they've done with white and, and red as well in the last couple of years, it's only so effective when green continues to take 10 steps for every one they take. Um, that's a problem. I don't know how we address, but <laughs> this is just another example of that for sure. Yeah, we, we're all definitely hyped for this set for sure. Um, but honestly, you know what? Actually, Dana, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. And really, the biggest tragedy of this is that we didn't get to hear you uh, crooning at all with, with your lovely voice. Uh, <laughs> On the, on the After Hours show. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, listeners, we would love to know what you think of Modern Horizons 2. Which commanders are you most excited about building? Which cards do you think will become the most popular? We would love to hear your thoughts. But for now, we are going to call this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. We are streaming. Um, our guests are always super, super fun. The games are also pretty great. Um, so make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles once a month for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on Idiotrek or by visiting cardkingdom.com slash Idiotrek and that shows your support for the show. Idiotrek is also always looking for new writers, so if you have an innovative idea for an article series and want to join the team, you can submit your article pitch at idiotrek.com slash apply or email apply at idiotrek.com. And don't forget, you can now go to altersleeves.com slash idiotrekcast and find our custom alter sleeves so you can play your decks in style while showing your support for the Idiotrekcast. And you can find our Patreon exclusive alter sleeve as well. Listeners, we will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, Remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>